Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Welcome to our podcast series addressing everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. My name is Dean Stockford, and I'm joined by Len Suzio today. Another interesting topic, I'm sure, Len, because uh, I know we've talked a lot about CRA, and I, I you know, at some point, I, I think that it's like how how many how many times can you pick this particular topic? But it is. I, I think when we spoke last, we talked about anxiety around hmm. uh, around uh, hmm. the proposed rulemaking for CRA. So I, I'm assuming that we're going to talk about something related to CRA today. So, hey, enlighten me, Len. Yes, yes. And we have been at my company, and I'm certain at yours, too. We've been getting a lot of questions regarding the 2022 CRA proposed rule. Uh, many bankers are anticipating it will be implemented as proposed and are wondering what the implications are that it may have for their banks. Well, that's certainly a hot topic. So how do you see uh, what's coming down the pike and how bankers may want to prepare for it? Well, the first thing, Dean, is there are a good number of very serious problems with the rules that has been proposed. Chief among them is the proposed rules beyond complicated it's, I can only characterize it as convoluted, and much of it won't be easily enforced. In fact, I think there's a good chance that if the pr- rule is proposed, is published as proposed, there's a good chance it may actually be litigated by some of the bank associations. Now, that's interesting. What would be the basis for a potential litigation? Well, the ABA in its comments hinted at potential litigation, and the Bank Policy Institute in its submitted comments explicitly identified three legal objections to the rule as it's been proposed. First, the BPI argues that the rule as proposed exceeds the statutory authority granted by the Community Reinvestment Act to regulators, specifically with respect to the expansion of CRA evaluations for large banks to include what are called retail lending areas and all the major product line lending in all quote outside retail lending areas. The argument is that the CRA was implemented to assure banks were evaluated based on their lending or quote reinvesting in the communities where they derive their deposits. But the proposed rule turns that perspective on its head and focuses on markets where the banks are lending, not the communities where they are taking deposits. A second legal uh, argument advanced by the BPI, the Bank Policy Institutes, argues that the agencies must abide by the Administrative Procedures Act, which requires, quote, reasoned decision-making, end quote. BPI then goes on to identify specific ways in which the proposed rule violates the APA, including failing to provide, quote, a meaningful opportunity for input by interested parties, end quote. And then the third line of legal reasoning the, the, uh, put forward by the BPI is that the Administrative Procedures Act and the United States Constitution prohibits agencies 
from altering a previous position regarding the meaning of a statute or the need for a particular regulation without adequately acknowledging and explaining the change, which BPI claims was not done in the proposed rule. Wow. Certainly uh, doesn't appear to be written within the spirit of uh, Congress, but a legal challenge would certainly be big news. Uh, Let's get back to what the banks can expect and how they can prepare for it. Well, yes, there are some parts of the proposed rule that certainly are significant and are likely to change, and banks should anticipate them. Let me focus on what I consider to be the big three, although there certainly are other substantive changes proposed that we perhaps could touch upon in another podcast. I just don't want to overwhelm our audience today. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you and I have been good at doing that. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, First, it's clear that the meaning of, quote, a small business loan will be dramatically changed from the current definition, which is based on the call report definition of a small business loan, to a definition that will be determined under Section 1071 of Dodd-Frank. Specifically, a small business loan is now a business loan of $1 million or less, or a small farm loan of $500,000 or less. The Dodd-Frank Section 1071 rule has not yet been published, but it has been proposed. And the proposal would change a small business loan to be a loan to a business with $5 million of gross annual revenue or less. This means that the loan size is no longer determinative. It's the size of the business measured by the gross annual revenues that will qualify what is a small business loan. A corollary of this radical new definition is that the loan size may be far greater or larger than the $5 million gross annual revenue limit. As you know, as I said a minute ago, uh, a small business loan cannot exceed $1 million and a small farm loan $500,000 under the present rule. Well, when the focus goes from the size of the loan to the size of the business, technically, it means that there could be multi-million dollar loans that will now be considered to be small business loans. And many more loans will be therefore counted as small business loans compared to today's definition. The second uh, aspect is of the proposed rule would defer the reporting of small business and small farm loans to the reporting requirements of Dodd-Frank section as proposed section 1071 he would define covered lenders as any lenders bank and non-bank by the way credit unions more uh uh commercial loan companies etc that extend 25 or more small business loans in each of the previous two calendar years that change is earthquaking because credit unions and loan companies will become reporters and many small banks that don't report now will become mandated reporters under section 1071 is proposed. The third radical aspect of the proposed rule includes what they call calibrated benchmarks that would precisely define performance standards at each potential performance conclusion or rating of outstanding, high satisfactory, low satisfactory, needs to improve and substantial non-compliance. The reference points are largely the same as they have been since 1995, including the market or peer and community or demographic benchmarks against which what they call multipliers of 125%, 110%, 80%, and 33% 
for outstanding, high satisfactory, low satisfactory, needs to improve, and substantial noncompliance ratings, respectively, would apply. And for the market benchmarks, the, the reference points would be 100%, 90%, uh, 65%, and 33%. I should have said that's the community benchmarks, basically. So there's going to be a lot of very, very monumental changes that the banks have a right to be anxious about. Uh, I will just comment on this last thing about the calibrated benchmarks, that they're very much welcome in the sense that they'll give clarity to what a bank has to do to get a satisfactory performance rating. But the problem, of course, is that by announcing these benchmarks, it removes judgment from uh, the evaluation of a bank's performance. And a bank, if it falls below what's required for a satisfactory performance rating, is almost certainly going to get a substantial non-compliance rating or a need-to-improve rating, uh, no matter what the prevailing conditions are. So there's there's it's kind of a mixed blessing regarding these calibrated standards. So those are the big three, Dean. Wow. To say that uh, those are huge changes would be an understatement in my book. But uh, what can a bank do to get ready for these likely changes as written? Okay. Well, any bank, or now I'm going to say even a non-bank and credit unions and more uh, commercial loan companies that engages in business lending that's not a reporter now is almost certainly going to be a reporter under Dodd-Frank. The reporting threshold of only 25 small business loans per year for each of the two previous years will capture many non-reporting banks for sure that are not exempt that are now exempt from reporting under CRA. Now, listeners may be surprised to hear me say that I think this actually would be a good thing for small banks for several reasons. First, any lender that's required to meet CRA lending standards ought to be collecting and monitoring their, their activity now so that they can be ready for their CA exam. Second, mandating almost all business lenders to, to report under CRA means there will be a real peer data, whereas things stand now, all the market-driven performance standards are based only on the activity of the reporters, that is, the, the activity of large banks. So all these lenders should start discussing the likelihood of mandatory reporting of small business lending within their so with, with their software vendors. These lenders should review the substantially increased data points. They're going to, by the way, be tripled or more uh, to re be reported under seven, uh, sec Section 1071. The number of fields will triple or quadruple compared to current CRA reporting requirements. So management should begin preparing for the collection of all this data. A glimpse of what will be required can be found in 1071. Uh, NPR. Banks should be should have also evaluate significant how significant the impact of Dodd Frank will be reporting uh, on reporting, and will be reviewing reviewing their commercial lending activity to estimate how many of their business loans may be mandatorily reported. I suspect that for many community banks, it's going to be almost all their small business loans. That itself is going to be an earth-shaking uh, event for the small banks. Finally, banks should assume that calibrated benchmarks will be applied, even if the rule is not passed as proposed. Why do I suggest that? Because the regulators don't have to formally declare what the calibrated benchmarks are. In fact, for the last 27 years, they've been using unofficial calibrated benchmarks that they have refused to disclose. 
without changing the rule, they can continue or change those benchmarks without anyone knowing it. So if the agencies don't implement the proposed rule, it's likely that they will use the calibrated benchmarks anyways. After all, why would they propose benchmarks they don't intend to use? In fact, they already may have been using them for the last quarter of a century. Until now, they have refused to tell us what they are. Now we have some insight into what the real hidden standards are. Wow, this has been really interesting, Len. In fact, I think we should probably do another podcast soon on this subject, uh, which represents the very radical change in the CRA regulations. uh, And of course, maybe even uh, uh, put together some additional uh, uh, opportunities uh, as a result of these radical changes. So uh, this is Len Suzio of GeoDataVision saying, we hope that you found today's podcast informative and interesting. And be sure to send us feedback and request topics for future podcasts. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and GeoData Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.